Section six of Sermons to Children by Sabine Baring Gould. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Sermon six. Obedience. Lent. Second Corinthians chapter twelve verse fourteen. I seek not yours, but you. There once came to Quintus Fabius, a great Roman general, ambassadors from a certain province, bringing a rich present of gold and silver which they offered with great show of respect. But Fabius rejected it haughtily, saying, Sirs, you do not understand. I seek not yours, but you. I do not ask you for wealth, but for yourselves. He meant that the Roman state was not prepared to allow the allegiance it exacted to be bought off with a rich present. It demanded the absolute submission of the province. This was spoken with arrogance but the story may be given as an illustration of what God in justice demands of us. Fabius exacted obedience because he had subjugated the province with his sword. God expects obedience because he has created us. The obedience of the province was to be given out of fear. Our obedience is to be given out of love. A man may build churches, found schools, endow hospitals, but unless he be obedient to God, this is all nothing. God says, I seek not yours, but you. He does not say, My son, give me thy money, but my son, give me thy heart. What St. Paul says of charity may be said also of obedience. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not obedience, it profiteth me nothing. Saul was ordered to destroy the Amalekites with their cattle, ox and sheep, camel and ass. But after the battle, Saul and the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wherefore didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, to sacrifice unto the Lord. Thereupon Samuel answered indignantly, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams." Now, let us clearly understand what is meant by obedience. By obedience is meant the submission of the whole heart and will to the law of God. When you were baptized, you were made a member of Christ's kingdom. You became his subject, and his laws became then binding on you. An Englishman might become naturalized in Germany. He would sign a document, and thenceforth he would be treated as a German. Every German is obliged to serve a certain time in the army, and whenever an order is issued by the emperor to that effect, he must leave his profession or trade and shoulder his rifle and join the army. Well, an Englishman who becomes a naturalized German would be subject to this law, and when the order was issued would have to march with the rest, or he would forfeit his rights and privileges as a subject of the empire. Now, at your baptism, you were naturalized into the Christian kingdom, made subject to its laws and a partaker of its privileges. Therefore, Christ, your king, expects you to obey the laws, and if you obey them, you are a good subject. If you shirk the call when he summons you to arms, or disregard the laws which govern the kingdom, 
then it is clear you are not a good subject. You forfeit your place in it, and run the risk of losing all the advantages that may be derived from being a member of the kingdom. You will understand now why God seeks not yours, but you. Suppose when the German Empire was threatened with war, the emperor were to call all the able-bodied men to arms, and thereupon some were to say, We do not want to fight, but we will pay something towards hospitals for the sick and wounded, or we will subscribe handsomely towards providing knapsacks for the soldiers. The emperor would say, I seek not yours, but you. I am your sovereign. I have issued my orders. Obey, and do not attempt evasion of a plain duty. This is just the position of affairs in Christ's kingdom. There are certain laws laid down. Christ calls you out, mobilizes you, as it is termed, to fight against the devil and all wickedness and worldliness. It is of no use evading a plain call and a plain duty. If you are a subject, you must obey. If you shirk, you cease to be a good subject. Now, what are the laws of the kingdom? You are bound to believe certain truths, and to fulfill certain duties, and shun certain evils. I need not enter into particulars. You have been taught them over and over again. What I want to impress on you now is the necessity of obedience if you remain subjects of the kingdom of Christ. In the first place, then, you have promptly and cheerfully to obey God. Cheerfully, I say, because as God loveth a cheerful giver, so he loves cheerful obedience. It is possible to obey in a sulky, angry spirit, but such obedience is not pleasing. It arises from fear and not from love, and the submission we owe to God is not that of those who have been conquered, but of those who have been redeemed. It is possible also to obey in a negligent, unpunctual manner, like a soldier who slouches up to his post half-dressed and behind his time, and not holding his rifle properly. Such obedience is also unsatisfactory. Cursed be he, says the prophet, that doeth the work of the Lord negligently. Margin, Jeremiah, chapter 48, verse 10. There is one sort of obedience God does not exact of us, and that is blind obedience, which is another name for idiotic obedience. God gives us his laws, and he makes it perfectly intelligible to us why he does so, and that it is for our good and the welfare of the world that they are given. In the German army, when the recruits are drilled and put through the various maneuvers they will have to execute in actual warfare, the officers take the greatest pains to explain to them the why and the wherefore of everything, of every movement, of every assault or retreat, flank march, etc., Thus, in actual warfare, the soldiers obey promptly, not with a blind, but with an intelligent obedience. Now we clergy are the officers, the lieutenants in Christ's army, and we do our best to explain to you the why and the wherefore of everything, of every order that our great captain gives, and we do so that your obedience may be intelligent, and that you may obey not merely because you are ordered, but because you understand that there is good reason for the command, and because also you have perfect confidence in your great captain and general in command, Jesus Christ. Mind, I do not say that you are to disobey if you do not see the reason of the command. No, no, that will never do. You must repose confidence in your general. He sees the reason, and he is glad if you can do so also, and he wishes you to exert your faculties to find out the reason. He does not bid you exert your intelligence to make you disobedient, but to make you obey with intelligence. What would come of it, think you, 
if a troop of soldiers in the midst of a battle were to stop and refuse to execute a maneuver unless they were told the reason of it, and proceed to argue about it with their commander when they should be obeying and fighting. Common sense tells you that this would never do. So in the church, which is the mobilized kingdom of Christ, we must obey and fight, and the more we understand our duties, the better we shall obey, and the more readily we shall obey. The laws of God and of his church are never unreasonable, but we may not always see their purpose. That is because we are short-sighted, or imperfectly instructed. The fault is in us, not in them. I said the church, for the church is God's army and kingdom. The commands of the church are the commands of God. God is not one authority in the church another, but the church is the body of Christ, the army under Christ, and in it all the officers take authority from him, and all orders are issued with his authority. Now, one more thing, in conclusion. Do you remember how the ark was made? It was built of shittim wood, and was overlaid with gold. The ark was taken in battle from the Israelites and carried by the victorious Philistines to Ashdod, and was first put in the house of Dagon. God thereupon visited the inhabitants of Ashdod with a grievous plague. So they sent it to Gath, and the people of that city suffered likewise. So they passed the ark to Ekron. Then the hand of the Lord was stretched out upon Ekron, and the men of the city were also smitten with a sore disease. The Philistines, full of fear, sent back the ark to the Israelites. When it came to Beth Shemesh, the men there opened it and looked in. Thereupon the people died who had profaned the ark. When the ark was taken from Kirjath Jearim, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. Why do you suppose that God showed all men that the ark was so sacred? Why did he surround it with such terrors? Was it because of the value of the substance of which it was made? Certainly not. It was not the wood and the gold of the ark that made it so precious in the sight of God, but the fact that in it was treasured up his law. Now, my children, remember that you are arks, with the law of God written not on tables of stone, but on the fleshy tables of your hearts, and God will not hold you in less esteem and watch over you less carefully and lovingly than he did of old over the ark of wood and gold. As long as the law is there in your hearts, the presence of God is there, shining over you. The mercy seat is on you. Cast the law out, and you are nothing, nothing but the materials of which you are built, so much flesh and blood and bone. End of section 6